The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events and a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. You know, I've always felt like that's missing a little something. We're just going to let go. we're just going to let Art do his thing with the intro. Because uh, I botched it on my end. I'm not the sound guy I used to be, but what I am is the host of the Solid Summit Podcast, which is what you're listening to right now, a better than average podcast, if I do say so myself. And I almost always do. And uh, here with us this week, making his first return appearance, Mr. Gabe Steinmeier. Welcome back to the podcast, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Kale. And I will say, even with the botch. Uh, it's still better than a song I very recently heard. <laughs> Dude, listen, this some some things we say about the podcast are true. Some things we say about the podcast are untrue. Some things we say about this podcast are tongue in cheek. But one thing that I know for sure is that our our intro, our our two, and our solid seven soundtrack is a bop. Yeah, for sure. It definitely puts you in the right headspace. Yeah. I get excited every time I hear it. Yeah. So uh, now when last uh, we heard from you here on the Solid 7 podcast, you were making a your first ever appearance as a guest here mm-hmm. on the show. Uh, but you were coming in not, uh, I mean, a guest, yes. I was going to say like not like a normal guest. Like what, what's a normal guest? Uh, but you were making a, a very specific appearance as a subject matter expert. It was... Uh, shortly after yeah. the attacks in Israel, and uh, mm-hmm. you happen to not only have uh, a master's in Middle Eastern history, but you obtained that in, you know, the Middle East, where you lived yeah. while obtaining it. Yep. Uh, yep. So you were, you were dro- coming in and uh, dropping some knowledge on us for that. But this time, not so much. This time, uh, we want to hear... I want to hear about you. We want to learn about Gabe. <laughs> hey. Oh. Uh, I th- I thought I thought what we said was uh, the the next time I would be allowed on, it would have to be for something as depressing as another war. <laughs> so we'll see if if that rings true. Well, hey, I mean, we might we might have another one cooking. Who knows? This one might. The next one might be civil. We we don't. Which, coincidentally, <laughs> I live there now. I, you might be the problem, bro. I might be. <laughs> we don't know about this. I mean, my birthday, my birthday is January sixteenth of ninety one, which was the day that uh, Desert Storm started. And my mom tells the story of the doctor coming into the delivery room, saying, "Hey, we just went to war," and my mom saying, "I don't care. Get this child out of me." Uh- <laughs> Uh, freaking whippersnapper here's how i i date um the that that war can we call that the gulf war i guess uh yeah in in my head is i remember 
being in elementary school in fifth grade. And I remember like one of the local news meteorologists coming to the school and getting to ask him questions. And for whatever reason, I just know that when he was there, that's part of when the Gulf War was popping off. And so it is not because mm-hmm. I'm a student of, of history or politics that I can actually remember the time frame of the Gulf War. It's just because I know that it was around when I was in fifth grade because that's when the meteorologist was at my school. Well, I think that's how major life events typically happen. I mean, I think my parents have similar things with uh, JFK. Um, I, I would bet people have similar experiences with the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think for anyone that was alive, now you have to clarify this for those of us who were alive during the uh, during nine eleven. Like I know where I was when nine eleven happened because I just had tonsil surgery. And I was watching like the TV as a 10 year old and saw that. Yeah. So that's, that's how I place it. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that's pretty, pretty crazy. Well, you know, before we dive in too far here, we do have podcast business to take care of business yes. for which you have come well prepared. We are of course yes, sir. now and always fueled by Jocko go here at the solid seven podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going watermelon myself this evening, fresh out of the fridge, nice and cold. And uh, you came prepared with a can yourself. I did. I did. I have the uh, pineapple coconut. uh, Tastes like a pina colada. I wish they brought back the old names because I still want to go buy my Afterburner Orange and my Dak Savage. Yeah. You are consuming the artist formerly known as Tropic Thunder. Solid name. Cheers, sir. Solid name. Cheers. And cheers to you, listeners, if you're partaking with us. Uh, is this the better Tropic Thunder? Like, is this one more okay to uh, partake in than watching the movie? Uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like Tropic Thunder hasn't been canceled. I don't think so. I don't. I think everyone accepts. I don't it. think you could make it right now, but I also don't think it's been canceled. Yeah. I also I agree. Uh, if so, listeners, if you recall, if you haven't ever watched Tropic Thunder, it's hilarious. Uh, I can't remember what it's rated or why. So, hey, your mileage may vary if uh, you're of the more offendable type. You know, look into it before you watch it. <clears throat> I'm not giving it like my full endorsement. I'm not saying play it for like youth night at your church, but it's a funny movie. And uh, Ben Stiller is the, well, it's more ensemble cast, right? But I guess if there's a lead, it's Ben Stiller. And Ben Stiller is playing an actor in this film. And his his career is kind of on the outs because of a character he played. Like he's going for like that Rain Man vibe. He's going for that like what's eating Gilbert Grape vibe. And he plays a, a character... Uh, this is in the movie. In the movie, he play he that the character that Ben Stiller is playing in the movie had portrayed a character in a movie who was we'll say mentally challenged. I don't even know what's okay to say now. He had issues, <clears throat> and he went yeah, by. And this this is one. unfortunate. This is unfortunate. But that character went by uh, Simple Jack, and uh, he really overplayed it, and uh, it hurt his hurt his career. He didn't nail the portrayal of Simple Jack. I say all this to say this. I saw somebody this week compare Joy Reed's current hair to Simple Jack's hair. 
And it's one of the most spot on comparisons that I've ever seen of anything in my entire life. Listeners, um, I, I don't think you've had, you'd have a hard time finding this if you look it up. And I think you'll agree with me. It's, it's there. Uh, it's, I'm not saying Simple Jack was the inspiration for her current hair. Um, but there, there's, there's some shared brush strokes there. Yeah, that's uh, that's one I would have to actually join the listeners in looking up. I have no idea who Joy Reid is. Joy Reid is a uh, a Harvard grad, of course, uh, and a commentator on um, the much beloved uh, MSNBC. Ah, uh, that very much explains why I have no idea who she there is. There it is. There. Because that is not one that I uh, watched. At all. You gotta, you gotta get out of your silo, man. You gotta get out of your echo chamber. Oh, my echo chamber has now become Twitter, and if it's not on Twitter, uh, then uh, I don't, I don't pay attention to it. So, so you know, it's um, we've discussed before, and and even in your intro here, your your masters in uh, Middle Eastern history, which of course, incredibly lucrative and popular course of study. Uh, but let's let's back that train up and and figure out what leads one down that path. Now you alluded to currently living in uh, the Great Republic of Texas, but you you are not in fact a Texan yourself. Is that correct? Very true. Yes, I would not uh, ever claim to be a Texan. Although I have come to really admire and uh, love many of the great people in this state. Uh, I am from the Great White North, uh, South Dakota, so I am a very much upper Midwest individual. If you put me around enough Minnesotans and Wisconsins, <laughs> we'll start elongating our vowels, and uh, my accent will start to uh, come out more. Now, I, I knew when our paths first crossed, you might be the the first like proper super fan of the podcast who didn't already know me, right? And you always have to take some yeah. of that stuff with a grain of salt, right? People who are like, oh, it's great. I really enjoy it. Early days, like people who know you, right? Because most, what are, what are they going to do? Be like, nah, bro, this ain't it. You know, like most people just mm-hmm. don't have that level of concentration in them. Now, I have surrounded myself with quality guys who would mm-hmm. absolutely tell me in the most hurtful ways they could think of, if the podcast was crap and Mm. so, and none of them have, uh, so, you know, get some of those in your life, people who will be brutally honest with you and really go for the low blow, really go for your ego. You need some of those people in your life. Uh, but so, you know, like the friends love it or the family loves it or people know you, uh, but this could be a personal personality driven thing. And maybe it's like, uh, Maybe you're hard to love and they already got there and, and maybe the listeners never will. You just never know. But then along comes Gabe and uh, <laughs> Gabe already knew our our beloved uh, Becca Strangarity here on the podcast and, and yep. Becca turned you on and there's just no, no turning back. Yeah. Yeah. Becca, it was, uh, I think it was the second episode that Becca was on. I saw a post on her social medias about, being on the uh, being on the podcast, and so I tuned in. This had to have been like right after Josh left as a host, um, because it was I started the podcast listening to the podcast when it was just you, 
and had to go back and listen to all the other episodes to catch up. Um, but yeah, became a Patreon member. And then just, uh, yeah, through chatting with Becca and then just commenting on things in Patreon and, and kind of, yeah, being a fan, supporting how I could and enjoying the content that, uh, that friendship was, was kind of birthed from there. So I, I knew through that process, like I gleaned from the fact that you were in South Dakota. I didn't know that you were a proper South Dakotan. I didn't know you were a native. Like there's only, yes. there's only five people in the state anyway. So the odds that any of you are actually from there, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's mm -hmm. probably the opposite of Florida where like nobody's from here. My guess is most of the people there are from there. Yeah. When I was born, yes. Uh, nowadays we have a lot more transplants from the front range of Colorado or California who are coming in fleeing COVID restrictions in other places and just the terrible economies that have developed in these, uh, states with, uh, inability to manage their budgets and, uh, provide quality of life for their citizens. So people are now trying to get to South Dakota, but yes, um, yeah, of the five people who are actually from South Dakota, they're mostly my family. Uh, I'm the oldest of five siblings and my parents. I think I'm third, maybe fourth generation South Dakotan. And then a lot of the rest of like my grandmother's family uh, on my dad's side are from Nebraska. And then uh, mom's side is all from uh, Michigan for a couple generations. So, yeah. But do you, so if your family's been out there four or five generations, uh, I mean, are we talking, we're talking proper generations or are we talking, are we only talking like a hundred years? Or are we talking extended generations and somebody was in like a covered wagon? Uh, no, I don't think anyone was in a covered wagon. They were in covered wagons going to Nebraska. That was my grandma. My grandmother grew up in a sod hut in Western Nebraska. Um, and so they were out there quite early. Um, I think part of my grandfather's family on that side got out there uh, fairly early as well. They grew up on part of the, my grandpa and my dad was actually born on part of the reservation lands on, in South Dakota um, and how it's dispersed and broken up where they would have native land and then a white settler, native land, white settler. And so uh, my grandparents were in those areas where my dad was born. We were born there. And then I think, I believe my grandfather was born in South Dakota and I would have to look back up for where his parents were, but they were also, I mean, we've been in the U S for a while. So dude, you, you come from hardy stock. Like these are not soft people. Oh, yes. This, this is not a, this no. is not a place for, uh, you know, what we colloquially these days refer to as snowflakes. Oh no, 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 no. We grew up dairy farmers, ranchers. Uh, we're, we're good Scandinavian and Germanic folk. So we're, we're all, fairly tall on the male side and then the, the women are fairly short. So it's quite, quite funny to, uh, to see, but yeah, it's, it's good people. And everyone in South Dakota is kind of like that. They're all just people who care a lot about each other and about the world around them. And even people who are coming in, like they want to care for them. They want to love them. They want to bring them into community. Uh, but I mean, we're used to winters where if you're not working and you're not outside trying to get through it, it's rough. So you kind of develop that skin. You got to grow with it. You got to learn to live with the land and uh, make the best of the situations that are put in front of you. You can't really run from anything. You can't really hide. You got to, you got to deal with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just uh, you'll have to forgive the chuckles because the second you you like in the same breath mentioned farming and like Germanic stock, I just went straight to Dwight Schrute, like speaking German, booking the German, uh, you know, <laughs> priest for his wedding, and uh, like, do you have yeah. a cousin 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 Mose? Can you confirm or divide deny right here for everyone? I don't. So okay, here's another thing. I have not seen The Office. How do you even listen to this podcast, dude? I've seen a lot of clips. I've seen a lot of <laughs> clips. Um, but and those, this is legitimately a conversation I had with with someone earlier today. I've not seen The Office, New Girl, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Parks and Rec, which I've heard are all amazing TV shows. But I've made the decision that I want to retain my unwatched status with those until I find uh, a spouse who loves those shows. And then she can watch those for the first time through my eyes and re-experience that. So I'm saving that as a gift. You know, running in the circles I run in, uh, having done the things I've done for a few decades now, I'm used to the concept of someone saving themselves for marriage uh, never though have I heard it expressed in quite this manner, and you you may be uh, a freaking genius. I mean, sometimes brilliance just strikes a person, and sometimes they fall into it. Like I, I don't know if you're if you're doing the online dating thing, uh, like our shared friend Becca does. Uh, but if you are, and if it's not part of your profile, like list of shows you get to introduce me to. Uh, you it, that needs to happen immediately when we get off of this recording. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good one to put on there. Uh, so far, the the status of being six four has helped quite well. Former football player, like all of those things have. It's yeah, it's good. But adding, you will be able to experience these for the first time. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely something I should consider. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd put it out there. So I was I was going to guess before you beat me to the punchline that as one of five, you either grew up Mormon or on a farm, uh, but you already said farm. Uh, and so, yes, you know, give us a glimpse in, into life growing up in South Dakota, which is, let's be honest, it's a misnomer. The only thing it's south of is North Dakota and Canada, right? Like it's still this way is, yes. on up there. Yeah, yeah, we're very far up there. I think everything in Illinois is south of us. Um, I think we're on the parallel with like New York and Pennsylvania. If you were to actually go straight across, there's not much. There's not much south of or north of us except Canada and the rest of Dakota. So, yes, that's very true. So I'm from the western side of South Dakota. Is originally where I'm from. We call it West River because there's a river running directly through the middle of South Dakota. So it divides the East River and West River. East River is very agricultural, and it's very uh, city-ish. If you can consider um, a place of 250,000 as your largest city being the city and, like, the metropolitan part of the state, um, that's where everyone over there lives. And then Western South Dakota is very rancher lifestyle. That Montana, that Wyoming aspect, uh, we have the Black Hills of South Dakota, um, with Mount Rushmore, Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, all of that stuff's around us. A lot of tourism and ranching. And so, yeah, we grew up out there. Um, 
had a dairy farm running a couple hundred head uh, of dairy cattle. Um, did that until I was about seven or eight. And then my, uh, my dad decided to go back to college to be a mechanical engineer. And so after that point, we moved to the other side of South Dakota. He went to college. Uh, we kind of just fell into being city kids. And then we would go back to the ranch and uh, help grandma and grandpa out at the uh, ranch whenever we went to visit and still got to enjoy that lifestyle a bit. Um, I think one of the saddest parts of that was we actually, when we moved away from the ranch, we closed down our paintball field that we had there and we were getting a ton of people out through that. And so I grew up playing paintball as well. That was kind of my earliest memory is just paintball and cows. So if I wasn't, if I wasn't, uh, <laughs> my, uh, so my memory with the cows is we didn't have daycare and my parents needed somewhere to keep me safe while they were milking. And so they would just give me a bottle and put me in with all the baby calves in the pen because I couldn't climb out. So I would just hang out and nap with the baby calves while they milked and then we would go. Um, but yeah, that was an early memory. Another early memory I had was dragging a paintball gun through the dirt behind one of our reps when there was a big game. And I got caught in a crossfire and took a took a paintball to the diaper when I was like two years old. So these that's I mean that's the kind yeah. of way we grew yeah, up. Yeah, that'll build character real quick. Yes. Yeah. So uh, were you always um, you know bigger than everyone? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I was I was pretty tall uh, most of my life. Um, definitely bigger than most people in high school or in high school and junior high. Um, yeah, for the most part. I mean, as you grow and you explore more of the world, you definitely find people who are taller and bigger and stronger. Uh, but I came from a family. My dad, I mean, my dad always called me shrimp cause he was like six, seven. So I just grew up around that. Yeah. I, the, the question behind the question here is, um, you know, did you choose football or did football choose you? It was a little bit of both. So I actually, um, my history with football is kind of a, a weird history. Um, so until high school, I was homeschooled because we moved around so much. And so um, my, my mom and dad made the decision to homeschool us for a long time growing up. And so when I actually got to high school, I tested in to high school as a 10th grader and I was like 12 years old. And so I started early. So it wasn't even until my junior year that I was old enough to play football because I had turned 14. And so I, I went out for football because I loved football. I would always play with all my friends. Uh, and when I that first like summer conditioning for for high school football, I was a 14 year old at a small school in Nebraska because that's where we lived at the time. And we had 25 kids in my grade, a little over 100 kids in the entire high school. Uh, every guy in the high school was on the football team. And so as a junior, I was automatically on varsity. I was also like the second biggest guy uh, in the school already. And so I was supposed to fit into that varsity lineman spot. Uh, but as a 14-year-old, mentally not ready for it, physically not developed enough, even though I had the size. And so that kind of grind just mentally, I wasn't there for it. So I didn't finish uh, summer conditioning and I just was a student manager for the rest of the high school college. I went to 
didn't have a football team when I went there because I wasn't really looking for it. And then uh, it wasn't until I got to Israel and met some people on campus uh, and they asked about my history, my interest level. And then I went and tried out that I even really started playing football in a real like competitive way. Uh, and I was just mentally ready for it, physically ready for it and was able to dominate at a, at a good level. That's an insane path, man. Yes. Yeah. Quite wild. So uh, we're, we're going to go, we're, we'll rewind some back on your life, but I think it's probably a bit of a revelation to most people to hear that Israel has a professional football league. Yeah. Well, it, by professional, I mean like semi-pro amateur pro, like let's not, I mean, it's a growing thing. It's still the like third or fourth largest sport in Israel now behind basketball and soccer. Um, they're working on making it more of a professional endeavor. Um, but when I was there, we were within probably 10 and maybe 12 years of it being like a, of a sport that was organized in a real way. And so, uh, we had a lot of guys who would play semi-pro ball in Europe or in Brazil, and then they would come to Israel for the off season and, and join one of our teams so that they could stay in game shape and keep getting experience. Uh, but we also had a lot of guys who had never played before and they were coming onto the team because they needed bodies. Um, but if anyone had real skill uh, and any kind of capacity for it in a real way, they were able to dominate at a pretty good level. We have a number of guys that I played with who went over to the States afterwards and they were going into college teams and they were going into other places. And so uh, there, the skill level is growing there significantly. They're getting more organized. They're having better coaching, better support. Uh, better support systems for the teams as they go through the seasons. Uh, but yeah, when I was there, it, it, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm great at it. It was a lot of fun. I walked in and had some good coaching. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was surprised to find out about football there as the next person. Like who, like who's coaching? Like in my head, I'm just seeing a real Ted Lasso situation here. You know, that's not far off from some people. Um, yeah, so a lot of it is former like Americans who had Jewish heritage who were able to come to Israel. And so there were a lot of American Jews who got over to Israel, really wanted to find a way to play football and created the league. And then they found locals, they call them Sabras, um, individuals who are Israeli by birth, uh, who grew up there, who also were interested in the sport. Um, but you had a lot of um, American subcontractors for different companies, a lot of uh, people who worked in different companies that were from the U.S. or from other places who were living in Israel. They had history with football, so they would uh, participate uh, as coaches. Um, they brought over some high school and college coaches at different times for training camps. Um, they, have some, they have some significant partnerships with some different schools in the U S who would bring over people, FCA camps occasionally for high school students and different people to help with that developmental process. Uh, but starting out, yeah, it's, it's the coaching, uh, was really, sometimes it was people who just wanted to take on that capacity to learn and mold others. And so you really dived into learning the skill, learning the craft and taking it like it was the early days of American football. I, I imagine, you know, recruiting is going to be, a little tougher right now. Yes. 
Yeah, for sure. Everyone is, uh, everyone's a little busy yeah. with some other stuff at the moment. Well, also it's like, Hey, Hey, you want to come play football for us? Oh yeah. 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 Cool. Um, where do you guys play? Well, uh, I mean, it it's in, I mean, it's in Israel. Okay. So, so like, like stadium, like, large crowds of, of people, bigger crowds of people in like in, in Israel. Yeah. 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 That's where we play. You know, I, I think I'm going to pass. I think I'm going to avoid any crowds in Israel for right now. Yeah, it would, that, that would be an interesting, that'd be an interesting thing. I know. So it, yeah, it's, yeah. It would be hard. I, man, I haven't seen what they've done with the league this year. Um, I know a lot of the guys that I played with uh, are in the reserves, and so they're serving. So I keep in touch with a couple of them and just try to see how their units are doing. Um, you kind of every time you see another report of a, of a unit losing people, you kind of like have that sudden that sudden lurch uh, to see who they reported as to see if any of your friends uh, are no longer with us. Um, but yeah, a lot a lot of guys I know are currently serving, and I know a lot of the a lot of the kids in the high school leagues that I coached for um, are are most of them are now out of their service or they're they're still just on that lower cusp of it. Um, but yeah, definitely the developmental aspect of it. The lo- the younger kids that were playing football, all of them have a a bigger responsibility at the moment to take care of their country. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, coach, can't make practice. Got to go to, uh, you know, Gaza. Yeah, probably one of the more legitimate reasons for missing a practice that a coach has ever heard. Yeah, I think uh, you, pr- you probably don't have to run laps for that one, would be my guess. No. Yeah, no, no. not at all. Well, and that was the high school team I coached uh, back. And when I was there, I was there from about 2012 to 2016. And uh, the the head coach for our team was a, was a former commander in in one of the units and his dad was a high-ranking official in the israeli um, military uh so we had a lot of the students that were coming to our team and joining our team in high school who went there because they knew the training was to such a level it would get them prepared for the military and so we had a lot of the kids that came and played for us that when they were going in and doing their physical fitness tests they were doing their team tests um their their ability to operate as a team member uh, their op- their ability to lead they were testing very highly because we trained them to a, a fairly significant level um, both as a member of a team and within their skill sets and so that was something we really prided ourselves on um, and so we had yeah we had we had some great people playing for us when I was there yeah that's awesome man well let, let's rewind a little bit here so you've landed in Nebraska for for high school. Uh, we're gonna halt yes. and call it high school, even though you were still five or whatever. Um, <laughs> Twelve, but because yes. homeschool, yeah, that's what I said. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a a bit of a, a different high school experience. I mean, not always high school, you know, not always the easiest time. Anyways, I mean, did you enjoy being this, uh, you know, middle schooler posing as a high schooler? <laughs> yeah, well. It had its, uh, for the most part, for the most part, I was treated as a normal person. Um, I mean, as a, as one of the kids and and I knew most of the people in my school already. So that wasn't the hard thing. Um, I think for me during that season, what it, what it did have is, um, it produced this need for me to seek validation 
from some of the upperclassmen that I was around. And so that was something that that became a frequent thing in my life that I had to work through as I grew older, was seeking validation from those around me. Um, but overall, I enjoyed high school. I enjoyed the sports. I enjoyed drama. I, I, I went to state and speech. We had a great theater department. Uh, my classes were good. We had great teachers that really cared for us. Um, I was able to explore academically, was able to participate in basically every ex extracurricular I wanted, um, played golf, went fairly well there, was on varsity. And so um, I enjoyed high school for what high school was. Uh, there were certain things about high school that uh, I probably would have done differently if I could go back knowing what I know now. But it's also that aspect of we learn through those processes. And I want to be the same person now. If I hadn't experienced those things, then for better or worse, they've created me into who I am. Yeah. No, that's good, man. So where did you land for college? So for college, I went to a, a small private liberal arts school in North Georgia called Barry College. It's in Mount Barry, Georgia. Uh, it's about halfway between uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee and Atlanta. So I, tr I got as far away <laughs> from the Midwest as I could. Uh, why Barry? It was really good financial aid package. Um, they had a program called the Bonner Scholarship, where if we volunteered in the community so many hours a week, they covered a pretty significant portion of our tuition. Um, and I, coming from a, a, a working family background, we didn't have a lot of support for us going to school, and so that was a really big consideration. Uh, it was between Barry and then another school in uh, Michigan called Hillsdale College, uh, which my little one of my little brothers ended up going to Hillsdale. Uh, so that's still a place that we love. But uh, yeah, I, I Barry was beautiful. It was amazing. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful campuses you'll ever see in the world. Uh, it's got like 26,000 acres. It's got hiking trails, mountain biking trails. It's got its own mountain on campus. Uh, it's I believe it's the largest contiguous landmass like of campus in the in the country because all of the places it all the land it owns is all there together. Yeah. But it's 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 beautiful right at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And what did you study? I did my uh, undergraduate degree in business management, business marketing, and I had my uh, emphasis on like entrepreneurship and international business. Is that like it it was that from the jump or is that where you landed? I, it was a business degree from the jump. Knew I was going into business growing up. I always loved business. My, I mean, our family were basically entrepreneurs for the most part, whether it was a paintball business uh, or, or another type of thing that we were trying to do to make money on the side to support the family. Uh, so I knew going, going to school that I was going to do a business degree uh, kind of walked more into the entrepreneurship side. I originally was like straight up marketing uh, and business management. And then just with the, with the elective choices really went the route of entrepreneurship and then combined with some of my extracurricular stuff in school, developed a, a love for international business and just that ability to work at a higher level, um, help look at strategies for bringing products and bringing uh, different things to different countries around the world, how to look at their cultures, how to see how we can help assimilate our companies and, and really just do things in a culturally responsive mindset where we weren't offending places. 
um, but we were actually looking at how we could care for the people in that country. Feels very non-Texan of you. Yeah, that's why I'm from South Dakota. <laughs> uh, yeah, now it'd be like, no, let me let me show y'all how to do things the right way. <laughs> yes, it's very much how it, that's very much what the mindset was at the point. So, uh, I, was it th- there was? Did you have something specific in mind that you wanted to do with that, or you just knew I'll be able to do something I like with this? Yeah, I I didn't have anything specifically in mind. I knew I'd be able to do something. Um, <laughs> this, this is going to be really funny. So I knew I really want to do business because of the things I, I grew up doing. Um, and as far as like what I had in mind, uh, two of my favorite movies at the time were How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and What Women Want. And so I figured I would either get the job that Mel Brooks had working in marketing for like Nike or one of those consulting companies. Or I would get the the job working in marketing uh, for another firm somewhere that did stuff for diamonds or sports or, or in those realms. So those were kind of I, I loved that idea of marketing, um, but really fell more into the entrepreneurship as I was in school, and then fell more into that international business. So did you head for business when you were done? I mean, we know you have your master's, but like, what was the path? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I did not, I, I, as you can tell, I was smart graduating high school. Um, but I never applied myself much. I just was smart enough to do things without applying myself as much as I could have. And so when I got to college, I really filled up my plate with extracurriculars. I was president of my fraternity, the model United Nations, uh, was involved in a lot of other things on campus. And so as much as I was doing well on papers and exams and different things that were really important, I never turned in homework. It just didn't happen unless it was a group project. So graduating, I didn't have the best grades. And so the, the opportunity that I really wanted just wasn't coming along. And so after graduating, I moved back home to South Dakota and was just kind of working um, some jobs that I could have had without going to college. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next anymore. And so my mom gave me a book by Joel Rosenberg, uh, who, who's an author, and he writes some stuff about uh, political thrillers that are interspersed with biblical theology uh, and biblical prophecy and how they could uh, play themselves out in a modern-day political context. And so she gave me one of those books, and it really spoke a lot to the Israeli-Iranian conflict. And that kind of really spurred for me this desire to know more about that issue and to study more specifically about that region of the world. And so for me, looking at that and having my background in this desire for international business, I was like, okay, I can go learn more about these conflicts, learn more about these people groups. And then as a result of that, I'll know more about their cultures and how to respectfully integrate business decisions into their communities. And so that was my logic before going for my master's degree. And uh, was looking at some different places here in the U.S., uh, was trying to find something that offered me this, the opportunity to do a study abroad, which I hadn't done in undergrad. And so I found this program in Israel that was actually all in English, and I could do my entire program there living in Israel. And that was, that was the choice for me. So um, homeschooled, high school at 12, 
you know, steering your educational and career choices uh, with fiction literature uh, with Christian undertones. Um, yes. You know, going to go out on a limb here and say religion was always part of life for you, eh? <laughs> yeah, 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 it was. Um, grew up in a grew up in a believing family. Uh, my parents grew, were all in church. Uh, my mom's Catholic background, my dad's Protestant background. And then um, my mom found a pro had some friends at a Protestant church, um, kind of bring her to that side of the, that side of the denominational allegiance at a certain point in her life. And so that's where my parents actually met was at church in Bible study. And so we grew up in church. I was baptized when I was like six years old. Um, but it was about that time that I started letting the different influences of the people around me in school um, really start speaking more into my life that I started walking away from faith. And so while I had all this head knowledge of faith and of religion uh, from my youth, when I got to college, that just was not something I, I focused on or, or sought after. And so it wasn't until I was in Israel that I really started to make that more part of my life. And it was that turning point for me. Um, had a had an interesting encounter in uh, December of 2010, which was my senior year, that kind of like put me back on a track of being open to faith and seeking the Lord. Um, but really, when I was in Israel was where I connected with more of an intense, um, deliberate community of Bible study, running together and, and seeking God as we went through life. Right on. Yeah, I, I've thought about this, uh, especially, I don't know, a lot more recently. It's come up. I, I've got a few decades worth of background now in uh, either Christian youth ministry and or Christian education, like, you know, pre-K through 12 education. Not on the educational side. That's not not my bag. I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I'm not an academic, but I, I'm in that. I've been in that space. And, you know, the more I think about all this stuff, like they're like, ministry, working with youth, that type of stuff, it's got to be relational, right? Like it's, it's cliched, but nobody cares how much, you know, till they know how much you care. Like Roger that yeah. like ministry is relational has to be, but per yep. particularly with our youth and equipping them for the world that we live in now, uh, the older I get and the more I deal with stuff in this space, the, the more I think we're failing them miserably just in that everything's so relational, right? Like Let's, you know, let's get into their lives and let's let them know we care and they can talk to us and they can talk about their concerns and they can be honest. Yes, all of that. But also, like, let's be churning out, like, absolute rock solid little apologists. Like, let's be sending these kids out of our Christian schools and our, our Christian, you know, churches and youth ministries, like, ready to defend their faith at an intellectual level because it holds up. Right. And just to say, like, Jesus loves you, just uh, trust on him and follow God and be in your word. Like, okay, yeah, cool. But like, they're going to come up against some college professor that's been quote unquote yeah. debunking their religion for 30 years and going to have these questions that are going to seem like real stumpers to the uninitiated. Uh, and it just doesn't yeah. have to be that way. And I mean, how many of these kids that we see just absolutely dismantled? when they arrive on these uber liberal college campuses at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do really agree with that. And that's actually kind of full circle to where I'm at now. I'm actually working in 
a youth ministry uh, working for an organization called Collision. And we train and equip high school and middle school students to see their schools as a mission field and to walk forth uh, in discipleship and, and sharing the gospel and then helping others find out about Jesus. So I think the, the, the main thing that I would kind of push back a little bit is we don't always have to walk forward as apologists. And we don't always have to walk forward in how to win that argument and know everything. But what we walk forward as is disciples and disciple makers. And so really what it comes down to is having a real encounter with God to where we don't just know of him, but we actually know him. And that was something for me. I grew up as a grandchild of God is how I like to say it. My parents had faith. Uh, but I didn't actually have faith, true faith in a relationship with God until after college. And that's when he, when I became a child of God, no longer a grandchild of God. And so when we're able to go and we're able to help students uh, actually encounter God and, and find out how they can discover who he is through scripture and then help their friends around them discover who he is and learn how to follow him, we're creating individuals, we're creating students who are able to walk through the challenges of life because they've now been brought to a place where they have a real relationship with God. And although there will still be struggles and there will still be hard times, they know who they can turn to and they know that they have people around them to support them. And they know that they can walk forward into these dark places with the gospel and, and persevere through that. Yeah, no, I I'm with you. I, I just think um, yeah. like we, we just need more, more balance there. Right. And, yes. and like, yeah. and, and like balance can be, uh, you know, um, I don't want to say it's a two edged sword, right? Like that argument gets used to detriment a lot. Oh, you need more, more balance. You're too into this thing. You're too yes. into that thing. But I just think uh, we're really bad at this as humans. I mean, we talk about it on here with the, uh, on the podcast, uh, you know, with regards to like politics and culture a lot, mm. right. Where, we just tend to swing the pendulum too far the other way when we're correcting, yes. right? And you really need to lock it yep. down in the middle. And it's like, yeah, be be relational. Like, have have that personal relationship with God. Check, got it. Like, have great relationships with each other. Be there for support. But maybe let's just generate Christians. Like, let's coach up Christians. Um, that the first time uh, a professor goes. Well, can God create a rock so big he can't lift it that their entire theology doesn't crumble? I'm I'm just throwing that yeah, out there. Like I sure. love Jesus and I've got a prayer life, but now that I can't answer that question, you got me, prof. <sighs> you got me. Yeah. Um, or yeah. I mean, you know, all look at all these other religions that have flood stories that you think that's just unique to your Bible. Well, <laughs> well, right. It uh, yeah, it happened to that's everybody. Like that, it happened. It kind of validates the Bible even <laughs> yeah, more yeah. because it's something that's confirmed in other places. Um, so, I mean, just prepping them uh, for that because yes. the, the thing is, yeah. like uh, Christianity done right is relational, but I, like we we shouldn't act like the intellectual exercises of religion take away from that relationship. And sure. Christianity and Scripture hold up to scrutiny. They hold up to intellectual scrutiny. They hold up to they academic. Do. Scrutiny. Uh, yeah. It's the 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 Bible setting aside anything supernatural about it is an unbelievably accurate historical document. It just keeps getting yeah. proven over and over and over again. Um, 
And, uh, you know, let's just, uh, let's, let's fill up, you know, the plate with all, all the pieces of the meal. That's all I'm saying. No. Yeah, that's good. And I know there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of churches out there who are, who are doing that. And so I'm encouraged to see, to see that. And I'm really encouraged to see the students now being hungry for that opportunity to actually be more further equipped, to be more brought into a solid state. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a lot of people are really like scared for this next generation. I can't tell you how excited I am for this next generation and how much they get me fired up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and long story short here is um, that all of the time you've spent getting your degrees uh, was useless because you just went into ministry anyways. Uh, okay. After a time working in, after a time working in economic development and working in city government, uh, yes, it was all so far. It's all, it's all been pointless. Yeah. Although I've learned a lot, and what I'm doing now in ministry with my specific role in ministry does coincide a lot with some of the studies I had as far as running a business, how to bootstrap a business, and just move forward in management and sales and marketing, and so. Uh, it's not all for not, but, uh, yeah, it was more about the experience and the lessons I learned along the way so far. Right on. Well, Hey, you know, now that we're, we're all caught up, we, we, we got the insides and the outsides of Gabe. Let's, let's put your, let's put at least one of those degrees to work. Let's, let's touch base. Let's catch up on Israel. Cause it's been a few months. Uh, and it yes. turns out crap's still, you know. Just popping off. Yeah. Still going. It's, uh, man. Yeah. We were kind of, last time we were talking, we were like, how are they actually going to go into Gaza and like take care of this in a way that's not a complete, like terrible disregard for loss of life. Um, and it, man, it's been hard to see everything that's going on. Uh, with the with the local population death toll that's being reported, you can't always believe the numbers because the organization that's reported the numbers is not as reputable as people want to claim because they are ruled by Hamas as their political oversight. Uh, so I don't fully trust the numbers there, but it's also been really sad to see the loss of life on the IDF side uh, from some of the incidents that have occurred there and just the, I mean, it's war. Yeah. War as hell. Last week in particular, um, they took sad. some heavy losses. I know. Yeah, they had what twenty-one people in a, in a single incident, or was it seventeen in a single incident? But twenty-one in that yeah, one day, something like that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was rough. I it's yeah, it's uh, sad to see all the reports uh, of what's going on, um, but you just trust and believe that it's one step closer to securing a long-standing peace for the people in that area. Um, and you're seeing report. You're really seeing reports now of citizens within Gaza calling for the overthrow of Hamas because they finally feel like they can have the freedom to have their own voice. And so they're actually like saying, yes, we recognize that Hamas have been oppressors for us. And as much as they've tried to brainwash us, uh, we're now confident enough and we, we feel secure enough to step out and, and speak against Hamas uh, as much as there are still issues with their, uh, coexistence and and relations with the Israeli government. Um, they're they're recognizing that Hamas has not been the savior and the blessing that uh, that they have been propped up to yeah. be. 
Yeah, it, it's such a it's it's so difficult to suss out, which is part of what we we talked about uh, on your episode in particular, where we really dug into the background and the history of this conflict. Um, obviously, we we did kind of a little joint impromptu thing, like the day of or the day after the attacks, mm-hmm. uh, with you and and uh, Becca both. Um, yeah, which you know, if you're a newer listener and you haven't caught anything. Uh, with Rebecca Strangarity. Uh, Becca's one of our regulars. She's spent time um, in Israel as well, in Tel Aviv, and uh, uh, was able to offer a lot of insight uh, there with us. And um, But, you know, one of the things we talked about are resources that we talked about, I, I think probably in, I know we've talked about it just between us, and I think in the episode as well, is, um, you know, the Martyr Made Pod, Daryl over at the Martyr Made Podcast, right? Mm-hmm. It, both his ongoing coverage yeah. and, and kind of his breakdown of these things, and in particular, his fear and loathing uh, in Israel uh, series, which, man, it's a slog. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment, uh, but, a but a worthwhile one. But I, I do feel like um, Daryl's probably more middle of the road than most people. Uh, but, man, he's been real rough on Israel throughout this conflict. And it's I'm like, man, it, mm. is it are you right or do you just have some axe to grind here? I don't think he hates Israel. I don't think he's, you know, I, I don't think it's anything like that. I don't think he's a Hamas sympathizer. Um, Daryl just has uh, almost zero stomach for any civilian casualties. And I'm I'm not knocking that. Mm-hmm. But it's just like what's really hard to discern throughout this conflict is how many of the civilian casualties in like what percentage of, of civilian casualties in Gaza are because Israel just doesn't care and isn't taking enough precautions or because Hamas is so deeply embedded itself in the populace that it's impossible not to like there's no level of care yeah. shy of every interaction is, you know, one-to-one face on face, you know, face to face, like we're playing Assassin's Creed or something, which is just not realistic. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, yeah, you raise up a very, a very strong issue. Uh, It's been proven now that there were doctors and, and medical staff at a number of complexes in Gaza that participated in the October 7th attack. They crossed the border, they went into Israel, and they contributed to the atrocities that were there. And these are people who were at UNRWA facilities. These are people who are medical doctors, who are staff at these places that are supposed to be helping people. You're seeing reports, and you're seeing footage, and you're seeing documented cases of munition supplies being stored in kids' bedrooms, being stored in schools, being stored in hospitals, like everywhere that should be a place of safety and security within Gaza for civilians to be, Hamas uses as a location to attack Israel from. And so the, it's, it's the ability for the IDF and for the Israeli military to completely remove civilians from the area of operations is so hard for them to do. It's an impossible task because you're, you're, you're literally fighting an enemy that will not come out from behind the civilians that they're hiding behind. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, and I don't say this lightly, but the, the real solution to that particular math problem though is, the civilians have to decide, no, you don't get to be here anymore. You don't get to hide among us anymore. Forget about us outing, supporting you. Forget about us outing you. 
we're going to attack you. The the knife yeah. in your back is going to be in in our hand. Uh, I say that though, like it's as an American, it just seems like such a simple thing. As an American, like oh, you you American. just rise up and revolt. Oh, they're they're coming yeah. for your guns. They're taxing you without representation. No. Um, then you just handle your business. And you know what we did to the British? Super rare thing in the history of the world. Uh, yeah. And when and that was all with a concept of freedom. That was with an understanding of the principles mm-hmm. of freedom. That was with the opportunity to study the history of the West and to stand on the giants of the Greeks and the Romans and learn from their wins and learn from their failures. And, you know, that's, those aren't lessons. That's not an education that the the populace of Gaza at large, you know, gets to benefit from where it's like, you even have this inkling of what (laughs) it's funny. Uh, you know, we've pivoted here recently just because I got the whole series for cheap on iTunes from all of my references on the show being from The Office to being from West Wing. But there's an episode of West Wing where there's this visiting pianist from North Korea. And he low-key passes, like he's offering to sign a CD from for the mm-hmm. President of the United States of America. And instead he writes a note, like, I want to claim asylum. And... Long story short, spoiler alert for a 20-year-old show episode uh, of a show. Um, like it ends up because we had been in like these low-key behind-the-scenes talks with North Korea about their nuclear program. Like we we weren't going to grant this kid asylum because we didn't want to mm. upend those. And uh, so like he at any point, if he had openly stated – like just in a public setting, I wish to claim asylum. We would have honored it, right? That's the plot of the show, and that's really how it would have gone down. But, you know, at some point there's a scene where the president is explaining why we can't do this, whatever, and he goes along with it. He doesn't out us. He doesn't tell anybody. And Like he could have said to somebody, you know, in a Walgreens, hey, I want asylum, right, and just doesn't do that. And all that culminates with a scene with the president telling somebody else he didn't understand what it was. He's saying that to to yeah. a, a White House staffer. And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, he didn't understand what freedom is or yeah. he wouldn't have agreed and gone back. And so it's it's yeah. that thing. It's like if they knew, if they tasted it, if they knew what freedom really was, mm-hmm. they would end Hamas themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's – man, it's so hard just to – speak into someone's mindset having not talked to them and not like actually been in Gaza before. Um, but the, I mean, you look historically, it's more of a submissive to your leaders kind of mentality. Like it's, you have your tribal chieftains and if your tribal chieftains tell you to go somewhere, that's what you do. Yeah. Like that, that concept of personal liberties and personal freedoms is not something that is wildly held outside of the U S and a couple of nations around the world. Like it's, it's very much its own independent idea. And so, um, I, I'm so happy and thrilled to see the people in Gaza feeling enough freedom now to vocalize that they would like the down throw of Hamas, whether they have the capacity or they have that ability to take that next step and say, you know what, to keep more of this outrage from happening, we're going to be the ones that take down the rest of Hamas, that take down the rest of Islamic Jihad, that take down the rest 
of the terrorist organizations that are here in Gaza. And we're not gonna we're we're not gonna wait for the IDF to work their way through us to get to them. We're just gonna go to them. Um, I, I man, anyone brave enough to walk into that spirit of courage and into that spirit of freedom, I pray the protection of God is with them um, to to help them walk that out and come out the other side. Uh, but it's I can't I can imagine that there have been in instances that we just don't hear about where Hamas has found people who are going who are turning against them. So Hamas is just taking care of them and then counting it as an IDF casualty. I can very well easily believe that. Yeah. Do you feel like like obviously there there's people, you know, in high levels of governments that don't have the answers to this situation? And I'm I'm not going to purport that you and I are, are going to solve mm-hmm. them here either. But as some hey, as somebody who's you know in close contact with people on the ground, your brother's still in Israel, right? Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and you know, literally close friends with people who are wearing IDF uniforms and you know taking mm-hmm. the fight to Hamas right now. What what is the sense at that level of the actual people living this, fighting this on the ground, as far as in any kind of end in sight to this conflict rather that's, you know, a tenuous like sustained ceasefire or, you know, I don't think anybody on the Israeli side is willing to settle for just a return to what the status quo was, which obviously at this point was inadequate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. From what, from what I've been able to observe in conversations I've had, there's no desire to return to the status quo because they it's a fully understood that that's not sustainable. It's just going to allow for another October 7th. Uh, so they're, they're not going to go for that. And it's, I mean, you look at the reports from the family members of the individuals who died a couple of days ago, um, the 17 that died in, in together in that building collapse. Um, you hear from the families and they're saddened. They're deeply saddened. But their 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 sons their 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 family members died as heroes, supporting the freedom of their people, supporting the freedom of their state. They made the ultimate sacrifice. There is honor and glory within that, and there is a deep commitment to never let that kind of thing happen again. And it's even more important now because it's either what is it today or yesterday was Holocaust Remembrance Day. Yeah. And so we're now experiencing that, and it's. That mindset of never again, those people are never going to let a Holocaust happen again. And they do not want to let another October 7th happen again. And so they're not going to stop in Gaza until they reach a point where they can ensure that it won't happen again. And they will sacrifice their sons. They'll sacrifice their daughters because that's what must be done in order to achieve peace and security and freedom and liberty for the rest of their people. And they're willing to walk that out. And it's not just Jewish people. You're seeing, uh, you're seeing Arab Bedouin service members. There was one who died in, in the attack. There's multiple Arab, uh, Arab members of the IDF who are Israeli citizens. There's been multiple members of the Bedouin community who have died since October 7th, died in Gaza. There's members of the Druze community that have died. There's Arab Christians. There's Jewish Christians who have died. There's Messianic believers who have died defending the state of Israel to allow for a better life for their countrymen. And so 
from top to bottom, this has been one of the most unifying moments in that nation's history for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'd love to see a, a quick resolution. Um, but I'd much rather see a lasting resolution. If, if, yeah. if uh, lasting's more important than quick, for which sure. is probably easy to say from my, yeah. my seat here in central Florida. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Lasting is, is lasting is what's needed more than a quick response. And that's going to come with a lot of continued sadness. That's going to come with a lot of continued exertion. Um, it's going to come with a lot of cost. Um, but the Jewish people, the Israeli people, um, and so we don't just want to say the Jewish people, the Israeli people within Israel from all of the ethnic communities there, uh, are, are standing up together and saying, we like we stand for our countrymen, we stand for our people. Amis, hi, we're gonna we're gonna protect each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they do have some new support in their corner, and I don't know how much solace that brings them. But uh, in the news just today, as we were recording, it was reported that there were uh, some pro. Now, I I think they'd probably tell you they're pro Palestinian, but some some pro Hamas protesters. Um, outside of the the home of the honorable senator from Pennsylvania, uh, John Fetterman, and um, this dude, yeah, wow, um, he uh, he goes up to the rooftop of his building and he yeah. waves an Israeli flag at him, which yeah. I believe the correct terminology at this time in our culture for that type of behavior is based. Yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of like the, it's, it's, he's stepping into that, that old term, that old troll mentality of you guys really want to come after me for this. All right. Here's what I think of you. Here's what I think of your protest. He's been uh, here. Well, really throughout, he's been a pretty staunch supporter of Israel since the beginning of this conflict. Yeah. But yep. the the pivot to Senator Fetterman doesn't stop there. I mean, um, Chuck Schumer out of New York, uh, Amy Schumer's uncle, I believe. So, you know, just wow. all kinds of winning in that family. Um, yep. Came out this week, like, calling for investigations into Zyn, Z-Y-N, Zyn. You know what Zyn is? Okay. I, don't, like, I, I don't. I only loosely know, like, because it's become, there's so many cultural references to it now, like. Um, I, I've just seen like Tucker Carlson in interviews as a big fan and all this stuff. But so it's like these little pouches, like you would dip snuff, like they're oh, snuff pouches. The nicotine. Zins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. So, so Chuck Schumer, of course, because Democrats hate to see anybody enjoying anything ever has called for like investigations into Zen. So listeners, if you're not familiar with Zen, Z-Y-N comes in these little, canisters whatever you know about the size of like a snuff can like a copenhagen can and it's in pouches and you know you you put these in your in your lip like you would a, a dip of tobacco but they're tobacco free there it's it's just a delivery method for nicotine um and, and yep. nicotine if you're not aware and i'm i'm not advocating for the usage of nicotine i'm not a doctor and i don't play one on tv uh but there are like well documented like positive neurological effects 
uh, of like nicotine yeah. in your system and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, Schumer, of course, calling for investigations and sure looking to see if we can tax it more or something. And uh, Fetterman gets asked about this in like a news gaggle. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I, I just uh, think we ought to err more on the side of freedom. Like what's happened? Who, who here's the, all I know. <laughs> what's happened? Okay, th- this guy had a pretty well documented senator, you know, like race for senator against Dr. Oz, who which hey Republicans in Pennsylvania do better. Hey, hey do better, right? Uh, than some carpet bagging, not a conservative, you know, personality. Um. But Fetterman was, you know, he was pretty lefty. And then again, part of why this race got so much attention was. He suffered a stroke. And so he's like, yeah. which is not a small deal. Like if you've ever dealt with that no, in your life. That's serious. And it can even like I've I've known people personally in my life like suffered um like severe, like extreme personality changes post-stroke. Like it, it's just weird. It's just mm-hmm. you can have to there depending on the severity, you can have to relearn to walk. You can have to relearn to like use utensils and uh, suffer slurred speech and obviously um, you know, yeah. it can affect your mental capacity. And that was the question with him, which wasn't a knock. It wasn't like being mean. It was legitimately with the, the, his struggles post-stroke as he mentally up to being a United States center sitting in, you know, the graded, greatest deliberative body in the history of the world. Um, and he struggled with that stuff for a long time. And so then after getting elected, um, continued to struggle, ended up going to Walter Reed to be treated for what was at least reported as like deep depression among other things. And all that I know for sure at this point is that this dude went to a hospital for mental health treatment and came out significantly more conservative. Now, yeah, you make of that what you will, but that's what happened. It's, it's wild to see what he's standing for right now compared to and I think that was one of the statements is is like you look at some of the stuff he was standing for and and I mean you made the joke about oh Republicans in Pennsylvania do better than Dr. Oz who would have thought that it would have been Fetterman himself <laughs> yes yes they, they in the long run they may have ended up with a more conservative senator than Dr. Oz which listen Listen, with how far left the Democratic Party is going now and some of the lefty things that we're seeing within Republican camp, too, I mean, that it's wild to think that the line of uh, uh, in the middle for moderates, you can yeah. identify as a Democrat and be more conservative and you can identify as a Republican and be more liberal. Listen, I mean, we can identify as ever, anything we want right now. So I guess Fetterman is identifying as a, as a Democrat and just walking out more conservative ideals. I um I, I know I, I brought this up. I can't remember with what, what guest to hear it recently on the podcast, but uh, political pundit uh, Stephen Miller on on his ex account has taken to, and it's this isn't uh, exclusive to him, but has taken to comparing Fetterman to uh, Sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> He's a tall, kind of gangly, bald, you know, kind of Uncle Fester-faced dude. I mean, is any of that kind? No. Is it accurate? Yeah. Like, it's just what the dude looks like. All right? Just call him balls Mm -hmm. and strikes. Yep. (laughs) So, 
at, at first, uh, Miller was just posting. It was always like the uh, <laughs> the the picture from the movie or the the like just the clip of Chunk, the character Chunk in the movie, hug, yeah. hugging Sloth every time Fetterman yeah. did something more conservative. And now he just doesn't yeah. doesn't even post the clip. If you haven't seen the Goonies, fans or listeners, what are you doing with your life? Go watch the Goonies. But it's Sloth is this character that he's supposed to be an antagonist the whole movie, but it's a big turn. And at the end, this this kid who is nicknamed Chunk tells Sloth he's he's coming to live with his family. You live with us now. And so now Miller just reposts articles of Fetterman doing this stuff, and he just puts the quote: "He lives with us now." Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say that's all that's needed right now. It's it's a you have a new home. You can come live with us now. It's like it, it, it's that same that same meme. You're invited to the cookout. Yes. You're invited to the barbecue. So we'll we'll see. Politics are fickle, and the the second he he votes or says something lefty, everybody who's enjoying this turn will he'll you know he'll be enemy oh, yes. number one again. But in the meantime. Yes. It's uh, it's a pretty how the turns table. Yeah. yeah, in in this particular sector of the simulation, it's a pretty uh, interesting storyline. Yes, one hundred percent. And hey, not you know, for all of the dark things, for all of the challenges Israel's facing right now, that the Jewish people really are facing, Fetterman's not the only win that they can claim in the news right now, because no. yeah, unexpectedly. Out of out of nowhere, with no background or or history, um, in this particular skill set, um, a a proud proud Jewish man sits atop the iTunes charts with a fresh rap song as we speak. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we're 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 calling it a rap song. I, well, I think it's at least part of it. Part of it I is mean, a rap song. I think song. it's I will definitely agree. a rap song. But listeners, Tom McDonald can rap. Some he has. I've enjoyed some of his stuff before. Listeners, if you're if you don't already know what we're talking about, uh, and I, this may or may not still be true at the time that you listen to this, but um, as we've recorded, uh, Tom McDonald. A, who refers to himself, I believe, as an independent rapper. I don't think he's on on a label or has any deals or anything like that. Yep. Um, he has released uh, a new track. He's dropped. A, I don't know. What do the kids say? He's he's dropped a new record. I don't know. It's a single. It's a bop. It's a bop. Um, what it is? He, he's dropped a single. Um, with none other than Ben Shapiro. Uh, Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Uh. Multiple times New York Times bestselling author and, of course, famously uh, a host. And uh, I think he's chief editor or something at the Daily Wire uh, as well. Yeah. So I think all around, all around grand smartest, one of the smartest people alive right now and able to communicate better than pretty much anyone. Yeah. Except maybe in the venue. So now of I, I'm looking at the artwork that they that they put on this track. And uh, these two. Uh, you know, look it up. That the track is titled "Facts," featuring by Tom MacDonald, not McDonald. He didn't have a farm like your grandparents and parents did. This is MacDonald, um, and uh, but it's it's facts featuring 
Ben Shapiro. And I think it's safe to say that these two are uh, odd bedfellows, to say the least. Now, I, I think McDonald, I'm not particularly familiar with his work. I've seen him on the socials here and there. Rap, shockingly, not really my genre. Not, not really how I get down most of the time. Um, you know, like every other middle-class white guy of my age, I can sing along to all of eight mile. Right. But you know, that's, sure. that's about it. But I think McDonald's shtick tends to be like a more conservative take on issues, uh, if not libertarian. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where he, uh, you know, his bread and butter in the, in the music industry. So I, I don't think in the grand scheme of, like big artists. I don't think he's massive. I don't know what is, but no. all that to say that this song has shot to the top of multiple iTunes mm-hmm. charts, like the overall chart rap and hip hop, mm-hmm. any number uh, of, yeah. I mean, and, and topping big names. I mean, there's some people there's, Oh yeah. Uh, Taylor. And uh, I, I mean, I don't even know where I go to, to look at this stuff, but everybody, I mean, he's at the Nikki. top. Yeah. Was it Nicki Minaj or who's the other one that's at the top up there or on that that commented at him? Well, there was some back and forth with Nicki Minaj. She even gets, uh, I don't know, I, I guess maybe you would call this a diss track. Now, it's not really targeted at Nicki, but in, in Ben's little little section, he does uh, allude to her. Maybe she wants to take some notes. And uh, I, I think yeah. they've had some back and forths, at least in via social media before and Nikki ha- actually had some kind words to say and congratulated him on the number one. I, I think, I-, I mean, talking about this alone doesn't do it justice. I think the listeners need to hear Ben's portion of this song. Oh my gosh. Um, now, yeah, probably let's, let's see after the fiasco with, um, let me see if I can get us where we need to be in the song to hear him without playing the rest of it. All right, here we go. This is um, a, a small segment of Facts by Tom McDonald featuring Ben Shapiro. Here we go. Let's look at the stats. I've got the facts. My money like Liz, so my pockets are fat. Homie, I'm epic. Don't be a whap. Dog, it's a yarmulke. Homie, no cap. Look at the graphs. Look at my charts. You're blowing money on strippers and cars. You go into prison. I'm on television. Dogs, no one knows who you are. Keep hating on me on the internet. My comment section all woke Karen's. And I make racks off compound interest. Y'all live with your parents. Nikki, take some notes. I just did this for fun. All my people, download this. Let's get a billboard number one. And there, there you go. That's it. That's... That's Ben's contribution to the track right there. You know, I, I it's growing on me. It might be like a it might be like a wine or a, or a scotch or a bourbon. Like it's growing on me a little bit. I enjoyed it more that time than the last times I've listened to it. Here's the thing. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not now listen. Bad. Now listen, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that it's good. It's not good. That no. is not I'm not a connoisseur of rap, but I recognize that's not good rap. But also, yeah. it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it kind of it kind of reminds me, and this is going to be a little bit of a throwback, and it might be too niche. Uh, but maybe there's someone in Solid Seven Land who has heard of this. Um, but there's a song back in the day on on old YouTube that was called uh, "Greatest of Them All" by like a rapper named Krispy Kreme. And and it's it might be one of the funniest things 
I'd ever watch. My dad repeat. My dad will send this to me. He loves this song. Um, he'll send it to me periodically just to remind me that he's the greatest of them all. Um, and that song might be worse, um, but probably not by much. Yeah. Yeah. I, here's the thing. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be good. I think, I think Ben's in on the joke. I think this is tongue in cheek. Oh, I think yeah. it's supposed to be kitchen. Oh, yeah. So, I, so what's funny is I, I'm sure there will be people, I'm sure there will be critics um, who don't catch the joke, that the joke will go over their head and they'll just think they're genuine, that they, that Ben, they'll believe Ben thinks this was good and that he's good at this and that they'll tear him apart based on the, the quality of his performance. And that, that really is the joke. Like the people 100%. whose heads this will go over, that's the joke. They're the butt of the joke. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So the song's not, not catchy. I mean, you put a decent beat behind anything. It's not like mm-hmm. Tom McDonald. I, I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to comment on how good a rapper he is or his isn't. Haven't heard much of his work. I'm not, I tend to not be a fan of the genre anyways. Yeah. Um, he's not bad. He's, he's, he's not bad. He's more political. He's more, it's more of like an anger rap than it is. Like to me, it's more of an anger rap than it is an artistic rap. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they get a little bit more political. Um, I think if you were to look at people like the Marine rapper or Topher, uh, who are, in that political conservative rap style, um, they're much better. I would listen to them more often than I listen to, uh, to Tom. Um, but he's not bad. It's just, you really have to be focusing on that's the type of rap you want. Uh, if, if you're going to listen to it, I, I just, again, you know, I, I call back to earlier in the conversation here. Like I spent a lot of time in, in Christian youth ministry. Um, which means I've listened to an above average amount of Christian rap. Um, it's, it's by and large, there's exceptions to every rule. There's outliers on every bell curve. Um, and there's some Christian rap that absolutely holds up, but most of it doesn't. Most of it doesn't. Most of it is about as, as, as good as you would assume that it is if you've never heard it. And that's what this reminded me of. Yeah. It's definitely one of those where, uh, I'm probably never in my life going to look for that song again. Yeah. But I wasn't like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't hard to listen to. I just have no desire to need to listen to it again. No, I, I just appreciate the shtick. Oh yeah, and I appreciate that Ben's a good sport, and I'm sure part of how this came to be is he has pretty openly stated his viewpoint that rap is neither art nor music. Uh, he doesn't really pull any punches there, and that just adds to the humor of this whole thing. Yeah, and uh, and I appreciate that. Well, that uh, yeah, that's an opinion. I like rap. I grew up on rap. Grew up on a lot of hip hop. So I like as, it. As as most white kids from North Dakota do. I mean, I think Hey, hey, South Dakota, <laughs> you put some respect on that geo on that geographic distinction. 
South Dakota. I, I didn't mean to geographically misgender you. That was a that was a genuine faux pas. Uh, on and honestly, none of the rest of us know the freaking difference, anyways. Like, why can't the Dakotas yeah. just get together? What's wrong with you people? Listen, we would actually our state would have so much more money if we combined into one Dakota. Um, but for some reason, following uh, following a civil war or something, they uh, decided that if one state came in, they actually had to have another one come in with it. So they split us into two. Who uh, who has all the like gas and oil, or is it both of you? That's North Dakota, of course. Freaking yeah. Yankees, am I right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. So well. <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, it's funny that you mentioned civil war, um, because a, a, a lot of people are, are really fooling around right now, uh, trying their darndest to start another one. Listen, there is sometimes where you just fool around and you find out about things. I've heard a saying about and this. I think one of the, yeah. I've heard, I've heard a saying about this and I think one of the people you don't want to find out with are typically Texans. Yeah. There's also a saying about that. Yeah. Like there's people you mess with and you who who yeah. you don't mess with is is yeah. Texas, you know, Austin notwithstanding. Um Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm real I'm real torn on this. So, listeners that have been under a rock, uh right, we've we've been dealing with just gen- like this word gets thrown around so much, but genuinely unprecedented levels of now call them whatever you want. I'm going to call them illegal. Mike of somewhere, somebody decided we were going to move away from immigrant to migrant on both sides, whether you're calling them illegal or not. I hear illegal migrant rather than illegal immigrant all the time now, but insane levels of Mm -hmm. human beings crossing our southern border whatever your viewpoint is on that rather yeah they're refugees they're asylees illegal immigrants whatever um numbers like we've never seen before like north of three hundred thousand in a month think about that think about what the biggest city nearest to you is as you're listening to this and and think about what the population of that city is it yeah most quote unquote large cities are not that large or larger than that. You've got to get mm-hmm. into major metropolitan areas to have populations larger yeah. than that in a city. They crossed in a month. One, it, yeah. It, it just insane numbers. Um, what is uh what, what is the number so far under the Biden administration? It's like, what is it? The low estimate of, of confirmed or supposed people crossing the country is six million since Biden took office, and the uh, the high the high numbers like ten million. I, was saying, I feel like I've seen like twelve point four is what's standing out in my head. And since yeah. I'm not Joe Rogan and I don't have a Jamie sitting across from me, we're not going to look it up. And you, but it's millions. And you don't work at a Holiday it's, Inn. Express. It's greater than the population of several states has come oh, has yeah. come into our country. Um, there are, there are states you could put together that would still not equal the number of people who have crossed into our country, like most of the Midwest, you would be still outnumbering all of us. Yeah. And so part of why it's become as big a news story as it is, because it's been ignored for years, though the problem has never been quite so bad, is that 
Texas and some of these border states have finally, at least to their credit, said, cool, this is what you're going to vote for. Um, you're going to elect politicians that, that won't protect, won't do their duty, won't uphold the law of the land, and won't protect the border. Uh, you want to be a sanctuary city? Cool. We're going to give you some people to to give sanctuary to. And so they've been taking these people from these border areas and delivering them to these quote-unquote sanctuary cities like Chicago, like New York, uh, famously some to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, And even getting a small taste of this is absolutely bringing these cities to their knees budgetarily. Just the amount of resource involved the criminal action that comes along with it. I I mean, it's just been devastating to the point where now you're starting to see these Democrat mayors of these big cities turn on the Biden administration uh, Mm -hmm. and and not just in those areas. And so it's just been uh, unbelievable. And finally, and, and to some extent, it's like, dude, what took so long? But Texas is like, screw it. Yes, this is the U.S. border. But this is also the Texas border, and we are mm-hmm. shutting it down. And yeah. they've put their own barriers literally in the Rio Grande River. But one location that has been particularly bad with this, and it's a location that uh, the federal government has been using to process these uh, individuals coming into the country, not to return them to their homeland, not to send them back into Mexico, uh, but to fly them to other locations in the states to set them up with money, to set them up with hotels, um, has been this area called Eagle Pass in Texas. Mm-hmm. And the Texas National Guard has gone in and taken over this area, will not allow the feds in, and they're they're doing what the federal government should be doing and shutting down and defending the border there. And doing yeah. so with troops and razor wire and and several other uh, tools at their disposal, and mm-hmm. um, does the does the federal government say thanks for the backup guys, or hey that's Texas? No, they challenge the ability of Texas to do so, all the way to the Supreme Court. Think about that, your your yeah. president and. Your Department of Justice went to the Supreme Court to obtain permission to open up the barrier at our southern border erected by a state of this union to prevent illegal entry into our country. I saw somebody break it down this way, like the number of single, unattached, military aged males this is that we know of that we know of yeah that yeah. have crossed into this country across our southern border from hostile nations and areas of the globe hostile mm-hmm. to the united states of america represent several military divisions number wise yeah. think about that this is, and this is the governor, Greg Abbott's, this is the, the governor of the Republic of Texas's take on this, is that they are repelling an invasion. Mm-hmm. And, and he's right. And so, yeah. uh, you know, the administration, the Biden administration challenged this to the Supreme Court. In a 5-4 decision, they decided, 
with uh, John Roberts, who I think surprises no one, siding with the more liberal justices, and then Amy Coney Barrett siding with Roberts and the, the liberal wing of the Supreme Court, that the feds had the right to go in and cut and remove the razor wire that Texas had put out. Now, uh, people get confused. What they didn't do was say that Texas had violated any law in putting out the razor wire. Yes. Only that the feds yep. had the right to go in and cut it. Um, yeah. And uh, the Biden administration uh, issued essentially a 24-hour deadline, a warning to Texas to uh, allow them access. And Texas told them to kick rocks. Mm. Yeah, it's it's wild to think that this is the situation we're dealing with. And, you know, I can it's it's this weird place where I'm looking at it and I can see where they would say that the federal government has the right to implement or to remove a barrier to impede or restrict the flow of people across the international border. That's what the federal government is supposed to be there for. So do they have the right to do that? Sure. Should that have ever been a question? No. Should they be saying, Texas, we're going to come in and remove this so that people can actually get through? No. There's no way that the government, the federal government should be doing that. Should Texas be standing up and saying, Federal government, you're not doing what you're constitutionally mandated to uphold. So we're going to take care of it for you. No, thank you for not doing what your job is. We're going to do this. Yeah, Texas, go ahead. Am I am I kind of happy to see the support that Texas is getting from what is it up to now? A little over 30 states around the country right? around the country who have said have seen, hey we'll send troops to you yeah i i've seen at least 25 um states governors at least offer verbal support some have yeah. offered to send national guard units from their states um, yeah I, I i'm torn i'm torn on so many things here right there's a part of me that's like yeah texas good job uh yeah. but i'm I'm like, I don't know that defying Supreme Court decisions is the precedent that we want to set, right? Because that's that's where the left already was on, like, Dobbs, right? Like, oh, if the Supreme Court's going to make these crazy decisions, we'll just ignore them, right? That's the old Andrew Jackson quote, right? Okay, the Supreme Court made their decision. Now let's see them enforce it. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm... Well, but is the... Is the Supreme Court the Supreme Court's decision is that the federal government has the right to remove the barrier? Correct. Yeah, it's that's that's kind of where it ends. Yeah. It's not that Texas can put up another barrier or can't well, put up well, another barrier. It's just that the government has the ability to remove well, it. And that's what I don't I don't understand. This is where somebody like well versed in constitutional law would kind of be a cool guest right now. Um, just mm -hmm. in that, like, what does the decision mean was this just is this just saying yes federal government if you go in and cut or remove this barrier you have not violated any law you are within your rights and your authority to do so so but is there a wink and a nod there of like if you can get to it 
Like, sure, you can cut it and remove yeah. it if you can get there. Like, you can. Yeah. You can. If you can, good luck. Um, yeah. So I, I really don't know on, on that. Yeah. Uh, and and need people more well-versed uh, in that than, than me to speak to that. I, I do, like, you, you look at January 6th, how that's been mm-hmm. painted and treated, not just in the media, but by the federal government, um, yeah. where we've seen prosecutions of people, federal prosecutions of people, who weren't physically there, were mm-hmm. were there and did not enter into the Capitol building, didn't damage property, uh, didn't harm anyone. Um, but you and I'm no fan of the way things went down on January sixth, right? Yeah. Um, so, but nor do I think it was an insurrection, or nor do I think it was it on par with nine eleven and you know all of the rhetoric no. that gets thrown around about it either. Um. But mm, nor is it on par with some of the protests that have happened recently with people climbing over the fence at the White oh, House yeah, yeah. over the Gaza no. issue. Like it's just um but when you when you see like what was in the news today as we're recording of you know private citizens headed down to the border to lend their support. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and, uh, and Jesse Kelly put it best. He's like, guys, you need to be shrewd as snakes here. Like you yeah. just, you know, it, <laughs> it just feels a bit like, uh, you know, a corn feeder in deer season. Like, how mm-hmm. is this going to be painted by the media? How is this going to be painted by the federal government? What is this going to become be used as an excuse to do to you? So it's like, um, I, you know, my, my gut is like, I think Texas has this right, but let's let, the Texas national guard handle their business. I I don't, I don't know that we're at the point yet where this needs some private citizen down there mistakenly, or because they're, they're bloodthirsty and trigger happy causing some incident, right? Like, uh, and then on the flip side, like I've seen the left calling for the president to just nationalize the Texas national guard, put an end to this. I'm like, yeah. How do you think that's going to go? Yeah. It's it's wild to think that these are the conversations that we're having right now. Um Yeah. I mean, how how well have we seen vigilante groups hold portions of a border? There's always been issues when there's vigilante groups who are in charge of it. Um I think it has to be with a law enforcement group or a military presence to ensure that there's trained individuals who are securing this aspect. Would it, (laughs) the thought as we're talking that I was, that was coming to my mind is like, well, if the federal government has the ability to take things here, why doesn't Texas just create another wall on the inside, which is going to take a lot to do, but let's put it in their territory where they have jurisdiction build another border and just create a new night's watch. Just build Send in John Snow. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, okay. John Snow let people through. <laughs> so I don't know if we fully want to go with that analogy. Um, maybe we want the one before, maybe we want the, the Knights commander from before yes. him. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, 
I, I don't know. And then, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody. Uh, I don't know. I guess it was probably yesterday of like, oh, you know, but can Texas really stand up to the federal government? I'm like, man, what what percentage of the military, the federal, uh, like people serving, you know, in the army yeah. proper, Navy, Air Force, but yeah. infantry in particular, Marines and Army are from, you know, Texas. Texas. Yeah. Or more broadly, the South from from the yeah. from the areas that are bright red that have pledged their support to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're you're always going to in any situation with this that you're absolutely going to always have people that that need a paycheck or don't want the hassle. Like there's always people willing to just follow orders, right? That's how, that's yeah. how you end up with internment yeah. camps. It's how you end up with neighbors turning in neighbors. Like oh, you, we heard it at the Hague, right? It was, uh, you know, yeah. I was, I was just following orders, uh, but some people won't. Terrible. Yep. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what kind of territory we're into. Uh, if, if the president tries to nationalize the Texas national guard and once again, the Texas national guard replies, uh, here's a great world war two nef- reference for you. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's who knows what will happen. We were having a conversation after uh, with a with a group of guys this weekend, and we were kind of talking about that situation of what would happen. Like, what would the ability, what would the ability for those individuals who are currently in the National Guard, what's their ability to receive that command, either resign or leave the National Guard and step into an organization, say the Texas Rangers who decides to drastically expand their enrollment and their, the members of their organization um, just as an example or a possibility. Uh, But what like militarily, how could some of those individuals who don't want to follow that command, how could they leave the military at that point uh, to, to step into something where they can actually support their state and what they want, what they feel is their duty to do. Yeah. I I don't know, and I hope we don't have to find out. I think this is increasingly, and I think we're seeing this play out right now. Um, who knows where things will be as you get to listen to this. But today, the big reporting was around um, Congress, the Senate in particular, is trying to work on an, uh, on a bill to pass with all new regulations around immigration, what's allowed and not allowed at the border, and giving the the president emergency authority to shut things down and blah, blah, blah. So th- this is the great hope. And the, uh, you know, the white house is stumping for this. Um, here's the thing. The president already has that authority. The yeah. executive branch has the authority to shut down the border right now. No new bill needs to yeah. be passed. Wasn't it Marco Rubio who like quote tweeted that and responded they would support him if he decided to use the powers he already has to accomplish what he wants to do. Yeah. And what they're talking about with, and of course, you know, nobody's going to read this all before it gets passed if it passes anyways, but what's being floated would still allow um, up to like 5,000 crossings a day. We'll go ahead and multiply 5,000 by 365. That's still an unacceptable number. Like the yep. only acceptable number of illegal immigrants is zero. Yeah. We have ports. We, we have ports yep. of entry. We have a legal immigration yep. process. 
Yeah. It's inadequate. It needs to be overhauled. For sure. Um, but yeah. if you if you want to rework the plumbing, you stop the leak first. Yeah, you try, if if you if there is a pipe broken, if you have if you are looking at something in your house, and let's just say an example, one of the pipes going from the curb to your house for your water main, there's a part of it that breaks. You don't leave the water main at the street turned on. You go and you find the nearest connection and you turn that off. I believe you referenced this. You had this happen to you a while back where you had uh, someone drive through your yard. Oh, uh, well, I didn't drive through my yard, but I, my, the, my water line did break out in my yard. But even even greater than that, I've actually, uh, I've been, uh, my employment's been more steady for the past 20 years or so. But prior to that, I did a lot of varied things. <laughs> mm. And uh, I spent a time working for what was kindly called the lines division for a local municipality here in central Florida and saying lines division is like saying uh, waste disposal engineer instead of garbage man lines division is water and sewer. Just nobody wants to use the word yeah. sewer. Um, I've laid water main. I've, I've worked on breaks in water mains and that's exactly yeah. right. You cannot repair it until you go and find the valves and shut off all of the feeds to that section of main. Yeah. You can't do it. Yep. No. And that's, that's we have a broken system. Anyone who says that our system isn't broken is just lying. It, it, the system is broken, but the way to fix it has to start with cutting off the inflow that's coming in illegally. And then you can work on implementation for a better process for people who are coming in who actually need to come into the country. I believe in immigration. Our nation was founded on immigration. I want to see people coming to our country, but they need to come legally. They need to come in a way that is actually beneficial to our country. There are a lot of great individuals in our country that are contributing to society who still retain an illegal status, um, which is another major issue that we need to figure out is how can we provide the individuals who are contributing to our nation the ability to become citizens in an efficient way um, and, and just kind of find that process. I do think that that is an aspect we need to, we need to look at. And there's a lot of people who are going to argue with that of they came here illegally. Why would we expect them to start respecting our laws? But that is, and we're, we're, we're past the point of just saying everyone who's here illegally has to go. Our industries, our economies would be severely hurt if we took every legal immigrant the, and sent them out without considering the ones who are actually contributing. The problem with that is I understand. I understand that argument. I do. But, um, one of Ronald Reagan's great mistakes of his pre presidency was amnesty because what it communicated was, well, if I can get in and if I can stay around long enough, I'll get to stay. And people are willing to roll those dice. Yeah, I, I I fully see that, but I think that's something where there's a lot of there's a lot of times where when you're trying to implement new policies, you have to come up with a grandfather policy, and you have to grandfather certain people in, and you have and then going forward, it's there's no free pass anymore, um, and and 
you can try to find where that cutoff is. But there are legitimately people here in this country who are contributing very much to our industries, but because they're illegals, they're not paying taxes. They're not contributing in some other ways where if we were to actually find them a program, and it doesn't have to be blanket amnesty, it can, but we should find a pathway that isn't ridiculously hard for them, and it doesn't require kicking them out of our country because they have been trying to contribute. They have been upstanding citizens to the best of their ability, and we just have a system that's not allowing them to actually move forward in that. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm in favor of like um, every everyone who entered illegally, regardless of how long ago, regardless of their contributions, has to be deported. Um, but I'll be honest, really, kind of my only hesitation in that is that it's I just don't know how it's feasible. So logistically, I don't know how you do it. I do know this: I am not in support of. I will not. Uh, well, I mean, you know, no candidate is perfect, but I would have an issue with a candidate who is in support of, I, I would never be in support of or vote in support of those people ever being able to obtain full citizenship and being able to vote. Mm. Won't at, at best, at best. And man, would you have to jump through a lot of hoops to do this? Um, resident mm. alien, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I think the issue with that, I think the issue with that is you then get into creating a class of citizenship that is a second tier class because they I don't, don't care. have. I don't care. I don't care because they because they didn't because they didn't because they didn't have to come and they don't have to stay. You you want to you okay. want to stay? Cool. Here's the option. Yeah. If you don't, the door works both directions. Bye. Yeah. 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 Did you give a path of citizenship for their children that are born here? Well, right now you don't need a path right now. It's birthright citizenship, which is ridiculous and was one of my, my favorite uh, points of Vivek's candidacy was that he was going to end birthright citizenship uh, and thought there was a strong case to be made for, it, it not applying, which it was, it was never intended to be applied in the way that it is now ever. Um, so right. Like it's, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not heartless. I'm not callous. I'm not a sociopath. <laughs> right. Like I understand my kids right now have no say in where they go. Yeah. They go where I yep. take them. They go where I tell them to go. Yeah. Um, so that argument, right. Those are, those are the dreamers, right. The, the mm -hmm. ones who entered the country illegally, but not of their own volition. Yeah. Right. And so what yeah. kind of monster would, would deport them? But yeah. the problem is what it incentivizes, right? Like that's, that's, that's the problem is, um, well, if, if I can make it across and if I can stay long enough, they might deport me, but maybe my kids will get to stay. Yeah. I, 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 I completely understand that that's something that incentivizes. And I think that's where the first step is. No one gets through the border anymore illegally. Like it is locked down solid 
there's support there, there's infrastructure in place, there's manpower there to ensure that there is now no longer illegal entry through the border. So you cut off that future ability for people to come across illegally. But the issue still remains for the people here. What are we going to do? Because we've already established that it is feasibly impossible to transport every legal uh, individual, any illegal resident we currently have out of this country to somewhere else. Okay, so, all right, let, let's let's play some thought games here. Um, yes. I crossed the border illegally yesterday. Yep. Okay. Uh, today, you're shutting things down and cutting it off. Yep. Do I get to stay? Great job. Do, you won the I, race. I get, so if I crossed yesterday, I've contributed nothing to society here. Um. My I I grew up going to uh, attending madrasas in yeah. Middle Eastistan, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not a big fan of the infidel. Uh, yeah, and uh, but I'm I'm here. I got across yesterday. Mm-hmm. Today, you're closing things down today. I get to stay. So, if I was making legislation, I think you would have a system of. You'd have to have a system of what they've contributed since they've arrived in the in the state or since they've arrived in the U.S. So you create a certain system that says you have contributed to our country. You've contributed to our economy. You've upheld these things besides coming into the what country I, illegally. What do I have to contribute, though? How much? No, I, I would I would just it would for me. If I was making legislation, have you been holding a job and actually contributing not co- and not being like a detriment to society in those ways? I think it's – I mean we're coming up with this as we're talking. But how long, it's not but, something but, I've, I've thought here, of. But here, here's my problem, right? How, okay, how long do I need to have the job? Oh, yeah. I would say between – one and end five years minimum of working for entities in the U.S. that are contributing to the U.S. economy, and you have not been involved in in illegal activities to the point where it's a detriment to society. And that's going to be something. There's misdemeanors that I think can be forgiven. Anything that's a felony. I think is an automatic disqualifier. So I've been at my job 51 weeks. I'm out. This is, this is what, this I mean, is what I'm saying. Come, whatever you make the quality, yeah. whatever you make the qualifier, some people are not going to, so it's not going to work for whatever everyone, you make the, but you have to create something. whatever you make the qualifier. The battle cry is going to be for, for that person that comes up just short. What, what you're, one day you're going to kick them out. You're going to uproot them. You're going to ruin their entire life over one day. Put them no. to the front of the line for consideration to come back in no. legally. Heck no. 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 I, I'm fine. I will put them at the front of the line no. to come in legally. No. Over over somebody who's been who's been in line for three years trying to do it the right way? No. Absolutely not. No, I will. I will concede that's a fair point. If they've been in line three years trying to get in legally, yeah, 
They should they should get priority. They've been waiting. They've been patient. They've been trying to do it the right way. But there has to be, as we're developing the system of processing these individuals through, those individuals who have been here within that whatever that time frame is where there was the cutoff, there has to be a, some kind of expedited process. If they've been contributing for that, but their time requirement wasn't long enough, I think they need to have a certain lane where they don't just get shuffled automatically to the back of the wide deck, but they have a specific lane that they get put into. Nah, I'd put them all. I'd put them all. Nah, I, I, I'd say I'd put them all the way at the back. I no, no, you're just out. You no, game over. There's no line for you. Yeah. I, I don't fault. Listen, I don't hate these people. I don't want these people to die. I don't want these people to suffer. Yeah. I'm not indifferent to their plight to the extent that there are people who just want a better life for them or their families. Mm -hmm. But these days, yep. these days, if you believe that that's even the majority of what's crossing the border, you're being willfully ignorant, willfully ignorant. Um, mm -hmm. And it's to be like, oh, a human can't be illegal. No, but their actions can be. We have laws. Yeah. We have immigration yep. laws. Yeah. You broke our laws. That's a, that's a, breaks that's laws a every horrible day. way to start your journey off as a, to a U.S. citizen. Bad start. Yeah. I, I get that argument. I get that viewpoint. I don't fully agree that it's a viable point to stand on uh, because I think it's more nuanced, but I, I understand why people make that argument. But I think that there is enough that as a normal everyday citizen in this country, we violate enough civil ordinances or or create enough misdemeanors on a regular basis that I think it's hard to say that just because someone came into this country illegally seeking a better life for their family. And I do want to qualify that this needs to specifically be those who are coming in in a, in a category where it's able to very readily prove that they're coming in for a better life for their family and they're not a threat, that this is the consideration. And finding out how to do that, it's going to be very nuanced. But I don't think that you can just say to those people, you came in illegally, therefore we're never going to consider you coming back in again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I just I have a real hard time getting over the concern of incentivizing continuing to try this and it, uh, offering any level of amnesty just reinforces. I know they say this is the last time, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Uh my mom used to say that too. Yeah. Yeah. Is it was it really the last time, or should I just give it a go? Mm. I don't know. Maybe coupled with legitimately strong border security, maybe, maybe. And again, it's not. I mean, we're talking tens of millions, if not. I, I mean, just the number of illegal aliens in our country at this point. Uh, you know. Oh yeah. It, it's 
the low end of estimates. It's insane. Um, so yeah. deporting all of them, no. I, I do think 100% uh, a- anything more severe than speeding or rolling a stop sign, you're gone. You're gone. Sorry. Uh, I, I mean, not quite that specific, but my threshold for criminal background would not be as high as yours. I think, yeah, I think there's, I, I think I have a little bit of, of grace for situation and a little bit of compassion for situation. Um, not and so like, I just want to find a process that is more able to look at the needs of the individual, how they're contributing, uh, and, and who they're helping family wise in this country. And if they truly are here for the greater good, uh, or if they are here with, with bad intentions, like I want to find a way for us to create that system to be able to, to sift people and find where's the wheat and where's the chaff and be able for us to help keep the wheat that is here even though the only way that they got here was illegally, I think there are really great people in that system that as a, as the United States and as a nation built on immigration, we need to find a process to keep them, but we need to secure the border and we need to find a way to remove the bad elements that have come in. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I could find a, a middle ground with you, but, uh, Particularly for the adults, you never obtain U.S. citizenship. It's, I mean, there are people who are here who are not U.S. citizens, who are resident aliens. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if you ask, they wouldn't feel like second-class citizens. And again, mm-hmm. you don't have to stay. I'm not talking about chaining yeah. them down. But cool. you, but you know, to you, ensure that they to ensure that they don't vote again, we'll actually have to start checking IDs, and actually ensuring that the person is not dead of the ID that's listed. <laughs> we'll actually have to have a real voting process. Yeah, well, you know, one major problem at a time, dude. So yeah, just yeah, one. I think we can't solve them I, all. I think you've talked me into maybe some level of amnesty that that does not result in full U.S. citizenship. I don't think you should get to vote. I don't think you should get to hold office. Protected by our legal system, sure. Protected by our Bill of Rights, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, why not? But uh, no, you you came illegally. You broke the law. Uh, you seem like an okay dude. You want to stick around? Cool. Here, Here's the deal. Here's what Here's what's on offer. Here's what's available to you. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you're co- if you're fair. cool with that, cool. We're we're yep. we're good. You're gonna you're gonna pay some back taxes. Mm. Uh, and uh, oh, so you want to tax them without representation? Mm-hmm. Yep, I sure do. I do. Because again, uh, leave. Yeah. If you don't like the deal? Go go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair. But. Uh, yeah, I, I might be, but man, my threshold for how long you've been here and how much you've quote unquote contributed would be a decent hurdle. It's very tight. It's a very constricting window. Yeah. Yeah. And that criminal background, fool boy, 
Yeah. We'd have to come to something there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I think that's, I think that is a key one where there has to be some very tight, uh, like it's a very small window of things that are allowed to have occurred criminally that keep you eligible to stay. Yeah. But I, I do believe 100% birth, birthright citizenship should end ASAP. Okay. So I don't know what they had said about that. So would you mind giving me more of a breakdown? Cause when I hear that, does that also include everyone of every, uh, every nationality that's here whose families have been here for one generation, three generations, 10 generations. Like we receive our citizenship because our families were, are from here. They're citizens. We're born in this country. Is that what it is? Or it's, is the birthright citizenship, regardless of it, you're the citizenship status of your parents. No. So the, the way birthright, so the idea isn't that if your parents are overseas, when you're born, you're not a U.S. citizen. It's it's not that it's that uh, right now the way uh, the law is interpreted and enacted is if a child is born within our borders, uh, they're a U.S. citizen, regardless of the nationality of their parents. Mm. So that's that whole, mm. you know, quote unquote, anchor baby idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, OK, that makes oh, so. Yeah, oh, you're going to you're going to separate this poor baby who's done nothing wrong from its mother. And it's always that they always put it on you, not the actions of the mother who broke the law. Yeah. Yep. No, I didn't. Yep. I didn't create this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a legitimate just because you get here and you have your kid here doesn't mean that you both get to stay. Yeah, it's goofy. I think that's the leg- I think that's a legitimate thing that should be looked at. I can see the point there. Yeah. The only path to U.S. citizenship should be you're born to parents or a parent who is a U.S. citizen or you go through the naturalization process legally. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And I like I don't do the whole uh, second tier citizen thing. You naturalize. You're a U.S. citizen. Red, white and blue, baby. Mm. Let's go pet a bald eagle and eat a hot dog. I'm. Let's go. Take me out to the ball game. Right on. Let's go. Yeah, let's go buy some guns, eat some apple pie. Like, you're American. Let's do yeah. it. Like, I'm all for the naturalization process. Yeah. Who, do, who, so, doesn't, now here, who doesn't want to be here? Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's the question I do have. Should we re-require the civics classes in high school to make them require, like, to require them to take the uh, nationalization test so that we actually all know what is on that test? Because I've heard that there are things on there that most Americans would not be able to pass. Oh, I'm certain most Americans wouldn't be able to pass it. Here, here's what's crazy, right? Is it's this idea of like any barrier, like you just can't have any barrier to vote because it's a right. Nobody wants to apply that to the Second Amendment, but they certainly want to yeah. apply that to being able to vote. Uh, but my thing is, I, I think the ballot box is is uh, way more, way more, way more dangerous than the powder box. Yep. The sure. ammo box. And so For it's sure. like, it, it's just crazy, right? It, it's like with adoption. If you want to have a kid, like if you want to be certain that you're going to get pregnant and have a kid, go ahead and be like an unmarried 16 and 17 year old and have sex. And you're Ooh. almost guaranteed 
you're going to crank out a kid, right? Uh, You know, but it's like you want to adopt the hoops you have to jump through, the courses you have to take, the invasion into your home and your privacy, because we're going to do everything we can, right? If we're going to, if society is going to entrust you with this child, we're going to make sure they're safe with you, right? And safe in your home and and that you can, can care for them and raise them and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, um, you want to come from somewhere else and be a citizen of this nation, boy, you're going to prove that you can contribute and that you understand our system of government and, you know, our history and all this stuff that you rightly, rightly have to do going through that process. Um, but, but, um, you, you exited your mother's birth canal within our borders or she was a U.S. citizen or dad was a U.S. citizen, all you got to do is survive to 18. Mm-hmm. And you can be just dumb as an absolute box of rocks. You can be entirely checked out. You can be incapable of naming the current U.S. president, let alone past presidents. Watch these man-on-the-street interviews about, like, Oh, the bad. Revolutionary War, or why do we celebrate July 4th? Or, I mean, it just goes on and yep. on and on. It's insane. Yeah. It'd be funny if it wasn't so sad. Yeah. And people say, oh, well, I mean, they can edit those together. They take the worst answers. Yes, but that they can find that many to edit together is really <laughs> disturbing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I've long said, um, well, no, I'm not going to throw this. Well, I've I've long said I I want an app. Well, I just don't want to put this idea out there because I still kind of want to do it. Um, So, you know, hashtag hashtag TM. Um, But I want an app on my phone that will quiz callers before it will connect the call. This isn't as value as it used to be because we just moved farther and farther away from calls. Um, but here, here's how I want the app to work. You can either like set a metric of, I don't want you to connect a call of an individual with an IQ below X, and you can pick what X mm. is. And so then it's going to pull from a predetermined bank of questions and you know whatever that needs to be to reasonably estimate the IQ. And, uh, you know, if they don't meet the the threshold that you set, it doesn't say, no, dummy, we can't connect your call. It's just going to say, sorry, Kale's not available at this time. Please leave a message at the beep. Mm-hmm. But, what, but, yeah. I, but what I also wanted to be able to do, and this might be more feasible, is you can just build your own bank of questions, however many you want, however many answers. Mm. And if people can't get the, the percentage of those that you say right, so it's like, I don't want to, if I don't want to talk to anyone who can't name, <clears throat> say, the current Secretary of State or the current, uh, I don't know, Vice President even, which is true for a lot mm. of people, or yeah. um, couldn't tell you that we're a republic and not a democracy, mm-hmm. or, you know, couldn't tell you what year we declared independence or what year the Constitution was actually ratified. Uh, any number of these things. 
um, that you probably ought to know to be able to vote. Uh, I just probably don't want, I, I probably don't need to talk to you. I probably don't need your call connected. Yeah. You know, the other greater help that this goes into, and it's something I experience on a regular basis, all the spam calls I get. So if the, every spam call would just be removed yeah. and all these robot calls would be removed because there's now a quiz that has to be answered in real time to ensure that one, it's a human being that actually deserves to have their call answered or they just get sent to voicemail. Yeah. That is the greatest thing that I've ever heard. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't think this would be that difficult. Having, you know, never programmed anything in my life. I think it's doable. Yeah, not being, you know, I have a, uh, I have a master's in history and a business degree. I don't have any technological knowledge at all. Uh, I think this is very doable. And it's probably not that expensive. And that part I'm lying with about. with your business mind, you'd pay me three bucks a month for this app, wouldn't you? I would pay you ten dollars a month I'm, to remove all the spam calls I get. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's this is a money making machine. This is this is hashtag trademark hashtag uh, IP. Like this is now owned by uh, by the Solid Seven podcast. Yeah. And, you know, maybe politics isn't your thing. Maybe you don't care if anyone has a clue about civics. Fine. Make your questions about Taylor Swift. I, whatever. Yep. Yep. You, you don't want to you don't want to talk to me who doesn't know what's currently going on in the NFL. OK. Mm -hmm. Whatever your bag is. Yep. You don't want to know about who's jumping out of windows and uh, celebrating touchdowns. Cool. Yeah. Right on. It's got potential. I think it's got a lot yeah. of potential. I think I think we've solved some problems this episode, sir. We've we solved some problems and we figured out how to like long term fund the podcast. Yeah, yeah I think we've done some heavy lifting here. For sure. So, so the next the next the next thing we can heavy lift at another time uh is uh you brought up that whole adoption issue. And the issues there, so we can we can tackle that one next. We can just go down the gambit of every political issue that needs to be solved in our country, and we can just spend our time talking through possible solutions. Yeah, no, I I think that's entertaining. I think that's what people are looking for. I think that's I think that is what will catapult the Solid Seven to you know that top tier echelon of of podcasts right there. Yes. So, you know, stay tuned, listeners, for, you know, the ins and outs and all the minutiae of adoption. <laughs> yes. Adoption, marriage, uh, all of yeah, it. Yeah, no, we're going to talk some Marvel movies and some probably some rockets and uh, make some more fun of China. That's, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> hey, that is that is it. That is it. Those are those are the, the breadwinners for the podcast. So, well, brother, this has been a blast. I appreciate you. Yes. It's uh, awesome. It's been awesome having you a fan of the podcast, but uh, even better having you a guest and uh, hopping in the rotation here. And we will do this again for sure. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for uh, letting me be part of the uh, Solid 7 family. It's been, uh, it's been an honor to support. Happy to, happy to 
participate from this side. Yeah, and I'm telling you right now, I normally do this after the fact. I, my, my process normally is uh, I'll pull down the recording after the fact. It goes off to uh, our illustrious audio engineer, Arthur Pippock, to make it sound good. Uh, and in the meantime, I listen to it at like double time or time and a half to pick out the topics, pick out the standout moments, phrases, look for things that I can include in the show title, the show notes, those sorts of things. And uh, sometimes that's that can be a struggle. Sometimes I'm like, man, I really got to get all the way through this to know what I'm going to name it. And regular listeners mm-hmm. will know. I, I typically like to pull out three things, usually not even connected, but something that just sounds catchy in the title. Um, but I don't have to wonder. Um, there will be no three items. The title of this episode will be I'm Saving the Office for Marriage. So, Oh, my gosh. So. I mean, last I think what was it? The last episode we had the show title before we even recorded. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Uh, once again was a riff off of uh, the West Wing. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah, fair. Uh, you know, there's not too many things in life you you can't uh, better understand uh, via The Office or Parks and Rec uh, or West Wing. It's just uh, just yeah. throwing that out there. But appreciate you, brother. This was a blast. Listeners, appreciate you sticking with us for a couple hours. Hopefully you laughed a little, learned a little. Uh, You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. And uh, that's what we're all about here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Listen, if you haven't already, do me a little favor. Whatever app you're listening to us on right now, if you haven't already, look down mash that follow or subscribe button. And uh, man, it would be awesome if you would hit Gabe clued me in here. If you hit the share button now, if you are right with the Lord, if you are living your life right um, and you are on an iOS device, we all of course know the share button, the little square with the arrow Uh, evidently on an Android device. It's, it's like three circles connected. It's like a constellation I don't know, but hit that share button and uh, tell somebody uh, about us who you think would enjoy the podcast. That is like top tier support right there. Uh, but if you want to go beyond that, you know, give us a little rating, a review. Uh, all that is a massive help. And uh, stop by the website, solid7podcast.com, solid, the number seven podcast. Dot com. There are links to all of our affiliates there. You can snag some podcast merch and uh, find links to all of our social media, which is just X and Instagram and Facebook kind of. But they're all there, right there for you on the website. And uh, with that, Gabe, love you, brother. Listeners, we love you. We're out. The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today. And you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order, get on the path, and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.